Imagine yourself sitting at a data campfire. And so what is a data campfire? I mean, let's assume you have plenty of people with some experience about data sitting in the evening uh, around a campfire and telling data stories. Honestly, that sounds really great. And um, maybe for other people, it sounds super boring. I don't know. Uh, but if you want to listen to some really great stories about how important data quality in the end is and what, what it means to have the right data in place and to make sure that this data stays in the shape like you have originally thought of, um, I have this episode for you. And so this episode was with Steph, one of the founder of Avo. And so Avo is, um, if you were to put it simple, it's a tracking plan tool, but it's much more. It basically is a, let's say, a tracking architecture and monitoring tool. And so you basically... In Arvo, you can create a tracking plan, you can design a tracking plan, you can work together with your team on a tracking plan, which is a huge shift. Trust me. If you do it alone, it's totally different than when you do it with other people. And so you can work together on this kind of plan, but what you can do on top is like you can use this plan that you have in production to also monitor how the tracking is implemented. And so if the schema basically fits what you have designed in the first place, and if the schema stays like this, or if maybe a new release is basically uh, changing and screwing up your whole tracking setup. And trust me, this is a really important thing. And so this is something which Avo can do. And so Avo is not really like the usual analytics tool. It's more like a tool already that is that is showing that the analytics space is growing. And so we don't really have just simple um, analytics tools anymore, but more we are now building the whole environment around. So we, we, we add different kind of, uh, of tools and services that help us with our initial tracking setup or analytics setup. And uh, so... This, this kind of episode today is a little bit different than, than the last one because um, we made it in a live recording. So we made a live session. And so sometimes you will hear us referencing to some questions or comments from the audience. So don't be surprised. I think the, the episode itself, it's super valuable because Steph has one big talent besides a lot of other talents. Uh, and this is like, she is really good to put data, technical data stuff into context of your daily work. It's when she explains about her experience or experience that she learned from other clients or other teams and so on. So she puts the things into perspective. And I always enjoy that because I always learn new stuff here as well. And, uh, and I hope you do too. And so um, have fun with these kind of episode. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you will like it. The time when analytics was simply Google Analytics is over now. Today, you can build your analytics stack out of over 50 different tools. And new ones are coming in every month. Each of them has its benefits, but also limitations. Finding the right analytics stack has become quite a complex task. That includes decisions about architecture, use cases, data ownership, performance, and lastly, legal aspects. This podcast tries to give you more context about the different options you have. By talking to leading people from different analytics companies, I am trying to give you insights about the tools, the strategies, and the learnings that can help you set up a good analytics stack. Timo, what's up? On this Wednesday, lunch, noon, morning, something. Yeah, I guess it's it's everything for everybody around the world. <laughs> so in some ways, exactly. Whatever floats your boat. Um, so it is. Yeah. So it is Wednesday, March nine. My time is eleven a.m. 
your time is known. Uh, we are here to learn why Avo is super serious about your tracking data quality. Yes. Um, uh, I'm super excited to be here with you, Timo. We have been wanting to talk publicly about stuff for a really long time. So um, I'm excited about that. Um, some, I guess we'll start off with some house cleaning or, or housekeeping or how, how do you say that? Uh, I think housekeeping. Housekeeping <laughs> items. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to send them via the chat or the Q&A. Um, if you're having any audio issues, let us know also in the in the chat. Um, yeah. Any other housekeeping items we should cover here, Timo? Think no, I think that's good. Um, yeah. yeah, but especially like, so the last webinar I did, I basically recognized that I had some video sharing issues after I did the webinar because I oh, didn't. Yes. Because, you were... <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch the, the chat. So I will do this today. I already opened it. Okay, nice. Right. Uh, perfect. Yeah. Feel free to um, send us a message um, directly, me and Timo. Yeah. Uh, we'll have the chat open. So, uh, yeah, you had a, you had a webinar recently and you actually re-recorded the whole thing solo yes. via Loom. <laughs> what a twist. Well, this okay. Was, but it was, quite, <laughs> it was okay. I mean, it was quite a good thing because I could make a compact version. So. Yeah, exactly. Way to look at the bright side, Timo. Way to look at the bright side. Yes. Um, yeah. so yeah, so, uh, now that we have <clears throat> a few more people trickled in. Uh, I want to just say welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this AVO and Deep Sky Data webinar hosted by uh, myself and Timo. Um, so I am Stefania. You can call me Steph. I'm the CEO and co-founder of AVO, uh, the analytics governance platform that helps people plan track and govern their analytics, particularly, especially things like product analytics, for example. Um, and over to you, Timo, for, for a short intro of yourself. Yes, that's a new tagline. I haven't heard it before. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, hi, I'm Timo. Um, I'm a founder and, um, of Deep Sky Data, which is basically an agency focusing on the measurement layer. I mean, this is also like one of the reasons why I work a lot with Arvo and um, invest a lot of time into these things. And I think what there are several things that brought us together, but one, for example, is really like that we both share um, a passion for, for tracking plans, um, which I think at least some more people are interested in that, but I'm not so sure many people will share the same level passion for this kind of um, document. But um, I mean, in the end, you, you created a product around it, and uh, which is a huge help in a lot of setups. And we, we, we will tackle this today um, as well in different kind of areas. But I, I have an easy, easy start for us in a way. So I think that the interesting thing is like, because when I do projects, it's still called in different ways. So do we call this a tracking plan, measurement plan, or even like the good old service solution design document, which is still out there, I guess. So what do you think? Yeah, <clears throat> this is a great question. So, um, and uh, just to set the stage here a little bit, uh, because we are talking about Alvo designed a product around tracking plants. And I've heard this actually on, on a few occasions. Uh, oftentimes when you start a company, uh, the thing that you want your industry or the profession that you're serving to be called, it typically ends up being called something completely different. Um, and for me, for example, personally, I, I never liked the word tracking plan. <laughs> I never liked it. And also it, it did not exist when I started out in QuizUp, for example, when uh, I was head of data science at QuizUp or the first analyst at QuizUp back in 2013. It's a term that has sort of gradually evolved um, and I, I like your perspective on it. It's way more than a plan, for example. And, um, 
tracking is a word that I don't necessarily love uh, because it has some negative connotations uh, in it. But, you know, you got to own it. Um, and I think this, interestingly, is becoming one of the most common ways of referring to this. But we still have things like telemetry, taxonomy, mm. uh, event schemas, um, etc. Um, I, I have the same problem. So I think tracking, tracking is the one immediately everyone understands. So this is, uh, like the thing, but, um, it definitely has a bad vibes and not a good reputation. I don't think it would go away. So at the moment I'm stick with measurement, which I, it's okay. But another thing that, that you just said, I think this is might be the, the second area, which is really interesting to look into it. I mean, plan always tells you that it's a one-time thing. So you make a plan, you do something, and that's it. And I mean, this is like, I think the, the thing that we see in industry, and this is like, I think you see a lot and also like it's an introduction to use something like, oh, it's really like, it's not a plan, it's something different. So, I mean, how, we, how can we establish that, that um, people understand This is an essential piece of the data stack that lives and basically is, um, I mean, you, when you create it, it's, it's already out of date the next day. So <laughs> it has to stay like this. So what's your take on that? Yeah, that's a really good, uh, yeah. I highlight that in most demos that I have uh, where I talk about the typical analytics workflow versus the AVA workflow. And um, that's in fact true that you have someone that starts specking out some analytics events in a spreadsheet. And then um, you start having conversations about that spec in a Slack channel or in person or a Jira ticket or something. And a developer highlights that they don't have access to the metadata that they need to be able to send that property at that time. So a decision is made to either send the event in a different time or to drop the property or something else. And that decision doesn't get documented in the tracking plan. So you're right. It typically is outdated even before anyone starts implementing data for it. Uh, um, yeah, but um, I think um, what we did at Quiza, and this is, I think, generally the a journey that companies go through. They go from uh, the Wild West of analytics, where they just have a bunch of bunch of analytics events that random teams in the company have been setting up. Um, and then they go uh, to start trying to govern that a little bit. And that's like a centralized governance type of thing where um, typically some sort of a data person owns the governance of that process. Uh, data team even, um, and sort of tries to step into the product release cycle and be like, you better not ship that without tracking. <laughs> Um, and, uh, sort of is sort of, I guess, in that sort of policing role, um, of trying to make sure things are, things are properly tracked and also that the implementation gets validated. And then in the dream state, in the sort of, in the ultimate state, I think, um, we have something like a self-serve analytics governance where every product team is empowered to actually maintain their own schemas and, and plan, plan their own um, and I say their own, but I still mean that they're on a, in a single single repository of some sorts um, because you need to have access to the entire tracking plan or schema um, of the company to be able to design good data for your part of the product. So I think this is a typical journey that people go through. And I think the problems around the um, how up-to-date the tracking plan is um, differs depending on these stages um, and is um less extensive and more extensive in specific stages i would say yeah one thing that you just mentioned is really interesting because i never really thought about it but the the process to before something gets implemented already is uh producing so many interesting insights uh which is usually then ends up in in the jira tickets or whatever kind of system you're using and then get lost. And so no one really has this. And so like, I mean, there are so often stuff which then comes up later, like, 
why don't we have this property X, Y, that? And so why, why didn't we implement it this? And that's, yeah, it was in the JIRA ticket that it was hard to implement because we couldn't surface uh, the data easily. And yeah, and so if you, if you have everything in place, I mean, then you basically have the history in place. And uh, I think this is like something really powerful in the end. Um, but you brought up another thing that I often get asked, and I don't really have a good answer to that. And it's basically like, who owns the, the, the tracking schema? Who owns the whole setup in the end? I mean, you already said, or maybe everyone owns it, but in the end, at least from my experience, it's like it's always good when you have at least some team or person responsible to, how to say, to, uh, to set some rules to, to guardrail the whole process. So what, what are your experiences there? Yeah, that's a great, 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 great question. Um, and I think this is another one of those that depends on the maturity stage of the company. And it's the same, those same maturity stages that I just described. Um, before, before I get deep into that, I just want to touch on what you were highlighting mm -hmm. with the communications living all in one place. It's one of the things that we really, uh, believed firmly in when we started designing AVO. Uh, and quite inspired just in general by, by GitHub um, and in, in general code source control, um, where you have version controlling and source controlling of your code. And you also have with Avo, you have source controlling and version controlling of your tracking plan or your event schemas. Um, and in both of those platforms, you don't have to explicitly think about the version, the version name or the version number or a semantic version or, or anything like that. That's one. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is like you have a history of all of the changes that you've made and you can see that history from various different perspective, per perspectives, including uh, the pull requests that have been made into your tracking plan and who communicated on those pull requests, who created them and all those things. And I think that is a really empowering um, empowering tool to to have for your schema management just like it is for for your source code um, and it's something that was really important to us to to get right and it's the reason why we've been built the, the branching mechanism so that you can plan your analytics in sort of <clears throat> in like steps and and sort of have full full communications um, around those analytics releases with all of the different stakeholders around every release. And that's a good segue into who owns this. Um, and I think, uh, so I talked about very high level. I talked about the, um, maturity stages earlier. Um, uh, but I, I can in fact go deeper basically. Um, the first stage in the wild west where you have just all sorts of data and you have no idea whether you have any data or what data you have. Um, then you have. Typically, like the, the decision making is blocked by just nobody getting access to data or having or knowing where to find the data except a data person um, or a data professional, data scientist, whatever title we want to use for that, analytics engineer. Um, so the, the decision making is basically blocked by the human throughput of the data team, which is maybe one or two, two or three people at this, at this scale. Um, at that, at that point, nobody owns schema management. There is no schema management, I can promise you. Um, and then you go to the next stage, uh, which is companies attempt to adopt at least a direction, something in the direction of self-serve analytics. And this is a sensitive term. I'm aware. <laughs> um, I am a huge proponent of, of self-serve analytics. But I am also aware that it requires specific definitions. I think that is also a really important thing. So I'm not saying with self-serve analytics, I do not mean that anyone in the company should be able to access any data that they need and be able to answer any question that they have. That's not what I mean by self-serve analytics. But and what it I just do... works because you introduce a new tool. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that is a good point. Definitely, like tooling matters for self-serve analytics. Training also matters for self-serve analytics. Um, but this brings me to what's 
blocking still in that stage, in that sort of first attempt of a self-serve analytics. Typically, decision-making is still blocked by lack of data literacy and lack of data quality. Um, that's my experience. Like people, you know, you might adopt a tool like Mixpanel or Amplitude or, or even a, a looker based on, uh, you know, some computations that you have in TPT or something like that. And people don't really know what to look for. They don't know what the events are named that might represent the user actions that they have. And they don't know maybe that there are, in fact, seven different events that represent this user action. Careful where you stack. Um, so um, that is sort of, I guess, like the the problem there. And I think at that stage as well, there's no owner. There's no owner of the schemas or the, the taxonomy or the tracking plan or the telemetry or... It's just, um, you know, yeah, I, I think the process at that point uh, can be, I've seen a process like this. Uh, there's a product manager that releases a new product update and they ask a developer to track the update and that's it. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's all I get. And the developer's like, what does that mean? I guess uh, I'll just track everything then, you know, um, or they'll... Or they'll, um, uh, you know, at, at least it, in, typically in this in this process and at that maturity stage, you have a lot of different developers implementing analytics events without communicating with each other and without standardizing naming conventions. Um, and you end up with, you know, tons of different events for the same user action, which can cost a lot of slowed down decision-making downstream. And I recently shared on data mishap night, the, the, uh, the trigger for why we started looking into building AVO. Um, and it's when, uh, so originally we built a lot of tools at Quizup uh, over three, four years. We painfully built those tools. And then um, we just completely revamped our, our data culture and our data quality. And one of the things or a few of the things that we managed to accomplish was sort of bringing all of those stakeholders together. And so this is sort of at, at, at those later stages. So I'll get to that. But I want to highlight that then uh, the purpose of the story was to highlight that there is this there is this incredibly underrated issue in these minor data bugs that a lot of people don't know about because they haven't experienced them. And they think, oh, this is actually fine because we'll just, you know, fix the data after the fact. Um, but uh, that situation can be something that you've arrived, have had to pay steep cost, which is the story that I'm about to tell. Um, and also that thing needs to, it needs time investment. ETLs for fixing the data after the fact. It needs time investment and making, maintaining pipelines and things like that, which means there is longer wait time from when you have some data about your release until you when you can start making decisions based on it. So I have a really strong um, sort of hypothesis that the best way really is to fix the quality of the data at the root, um, at the source where you're creating those analytics events and standardizing when, when, when they're being created. And this brings me to the story. So uh, I, uh, after QuizUp, I started a company with a couple of friends and it only took us about two, three months to ship a product update based on incorrect data. We looked at our signup conversion funnel um, and we had uh, we were sort of exploring um, next steps, what, what to do in the sign-up conversion funnel. And we discovered that 98% of our um, users were using email as an, authenticate, an authentication method. And only 2% of them were using phone number. So we we're like, okay, great. Uh, let's simplify the sign-up process and drop the phone number. Um, and those remaining two can can go on into the email process. We'll then simplify the the onboarding process for the entire customer base, or like 98% of them. We released that and had to build some things around it, obviously, and change some things. And in the meantime, we weren't building other stuff as well. So there's a lot of cost to making an easy decision like that. What we saw was that the sign-up conversion funnel it plummeted from 83% or something to like 40, 
less than 40%. It was crazy numbers like that. And we were like, what happened? <laughs> what just, what, how, how did that? Um, and then we look at the, at the data again. It turns out that actually 47% of the authentication method was phone number without a B. Um, so we completely missed that in our calculations. So it turned out that actually, uh, or for, 49% was, was for, for number, phone number. So in total, we had about, um, we had over 50% of our users using the phone number <laughs> authentication method and the rest was using email, but we uh, missed out on this. And this is what happens when you're running quickly with data. <laughs> like, um, and um, this was a complete bummer, but it wasn't only a bummer because of the, um, you know, the work that we'd have to make again to fix this. It was also just so devastating to realize that we'd have to build all of these tools that we built at Quizup again. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, everyone around the world was was sort of just struggling with this. And so that sort of brings me to that third stage. Like this is what you see all the time in like um, stage two. Like you see a lot of errors like oh. these that are seemingly minor, but end up causing this wrong decisions like that. Um, or data distrust because you've had that happen to you. So like everything just happens a little bit slower. And then you move on to a, str a stricter process. Um, and you can do that with tools and you can do that with processes. And the less tools you have and automations around this, the more time you have to spend on the process around sort of really strictly making sure that the, the events that you design, that they are not duplicates of existing events. And the properties that you design are not duplicates of existing properties. And that um, the... And then, you know, just, just covering your product in the right areas and then making sure that when the implementation stage gets through, that you actually get some time before the product gets released to go through it and like open up your network tab in your browser and like confirm that the payload of the event actually matches your um, event structures and your, your tracking plan or your event schema, whether that's a JSON file or an actual spreadsheet. Um, and this process tends to take a lot of back and forth. Um, and for example, one of our customers, Patreon, they used to spend three to four days on this process. Uh, that's 40% of a two-week sprint. Yeah. And they cut that down to 30 to 60 minutes using AWO because AWO automates so many steps of this process. And so I think that that's the choice that people have. The, the choice is you invest time in the process or you build or invest in tools that automate steps of this process. And at that, at this stage, um, this is the centralized analytics governance stage. That's the third stage. So we have the mm -hmm. Wild West. We have uh, or, or centralized BI team also, I sometimes call this stage. Yeah. Um, Self-serve, the centralized analytic governance, which is the third and second last stage. In that stage, I think the owner is typically a data team. Um, I think I, okay, I, I occasionally definitely see that the owner is like um, an engineering lead, um, a VP of engineering even. And sometimes um, I've seen, and that also depends, I think, on the size of the company. Uh, sometimes it can also be like a, a growth growth product manager um, who is ultimately going to lose their job if they don't have the data, right? Um, or, or a growth role like that, um, that sort of is thinking about growing the business and as a really important input, they need to really understand the user experience. But I think the most common stakeholder and the most common owner at this point is a data team, a data professional that works cross-functionally with the product team, the marketing team, the finance team on understanding the impact the user experience has on the business in various different aspects. Oh. And then you reach that wonderful stage where you have more in the direction of a self-serve analytics governance, um, which is the stage that we ultimately reached at QuizUp. And it was such a beautiful place to be in. And I see this happen with a lot of our customers, but also just like as I've been consulting in the industry, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this also, Timo. Um, as companies scale and as they scale and standardize this process um, and tooling that I was talking about in that stage three, the centralized analytics governance stage, they start being able to onboard and empower more and more 
um, I guess, less experienced people in designing good data and understanding what it means to actually design analytics events for your product release and understand that it means that you have to design a success metric um, and then you have to design the literal event structures behind that and the properties and all that stuff. And then you have to sort of go and implement that. Um, and uh, I think in the centralized analytics governance stage, you have the data people that sort of run that process for every single product release. There's a data person that runs that and sort of pulls in a product manager to like tell them like, what are you trying to do with this release? Like, okay, let's then use day one retention as the success metric for it. Let's try to move that. Um, and then they make sure the correct analytics events are implemented for that. But then I see like uh, more and more companies or companies at that stage, as they grow, they start then onboarding more and more product managers, for example, into just taking over more and more part of this process. And the data people act as sort of like a support uh, yeah. consultant, just like, that looks good to me. And that's also where Avo, Avo's review process comes in really strong. It works really well for both of those stages, I would say. Very, very, no, it's really interesting. So um, I think I never really thought about this um, self-governance layer in this particular way. Of course, I thought a lot about it because, um, I mean, from, from software, we know the same. So software is complex systems as well. And the only thing to, to really keep it um, in a state that it works is basically um, the DevOps or the, the operation layer. So where, where you introduce monitoring, where you introduce governance, where you introduce basically like the, the guardrails that you say, okay, this is where it basically ends up, where we want to keep, but everything in between can be individually and so don't have to be centralized. And so, of course, because this is not a solution, I see so many trying this then to centralize and decentralize and in between and then try out self-service again. And it fails because it introduced new stuff because they're definitely messed, uh, missing this governance layer in some ways. And and the, the state that you just described at QuizUp I think I see this so rarely. It's really, really. I'm not even sure if I would say 1% of the industry because yeah. what people underestimate is like the effort that you have to take until you reach this. And so everyone thinks it's, it's quite easy to get there. And, and there are not so many people experience around. I mean, in the end, like, I think one of the benefits that you had to quiz up was like this massive growth in the, in the beginning. So you really had to, to, to catch up. And so in other companies, it happens much slower. And so like people don't really um, build up the knowledge um, for this path to get there. And so this is what I'm hoping will improve in the next five years, because I guess governance is something that is now, um, kind of the big topic um, coming up after this, all this modern data stack thing and so on. So like, which comes up later and people realizing it happening on different layers. I really loved your take, why it makes sense, because this was a question I had for later already, was like why it makes sense to invest into quality at root or at upstream or whatever you want to call it. And so, because there are still people around to say, you can fix everything in the data warehouse. I mean, of course, you can fix stuff in the data warehouse, but the costs and what I really like is like the time you lose, especially like when you're in product. I mean, of course, you want to know how your features are performing and you don't want to do news, I don't know, three months later because someone has to clean and transform the data and provide everything. So you want to do this after release. At least I was when I was in product. The moment we deployed, I want to see the numbers. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't do anything else, just hitting command uh, R to, to reload the page. Okay, exactly. today it often reloads by itself, but at that time you had to reload. Yeah, but yeah, you've, you've touched on so many fantastic points. Like I just, yeah, this is, um, I, I, I remember one launch uh, at QuizUp, for example, on that sort of note of like just having to change the data after the fact if it fails um, at the root. <clears throat> and I just remember this moment where uh, we launched a huge, huge, huge release at QuizUp. Um, and there was a board meeting shortly after. And the CEO of QuizUp, he 
obviously wanted to know the impact of the launch. Um, And the plan had been to release or sort of measure, of course, the impact of day one and week one and month one retention. Obviously, it takes like two months to wait for the data for the month one retention, but you can get day one retention within like two, three days, um, the first indicators. Um, And he started asking for it literally immediately, like almost probably two minutes after we launched. (laughs) I was like, yeah, it takes a while to collect the data. Uh, and then we can, you know, because when you're looking at day one retention, you have to have basically data for 48 hours um, after the launch date, at least. Because people have uh, from, if if they join on hour zero, then they have from hour 24 to 48 to yes. join on day one. And then if they join on hour 24, then they actually have, yeah, you have to wait for 36 hours to have a full day one retention chart. So that's really interesting. And that's a tough message to relate to, to your CEO. So he had to wait a little bit for that. Then when we started finally getting the data in, it looked really weird. <laughs> um, and I was digging into it and it turned out like, okay, yeah, we broke it. It was broken. It's broken. <laughs> and he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and he was just waiting to be able to report something back to the board, obviously. And the board was like on his back and and yeah. and all those things. And and um, so he was always, of course, like he was never shouting. I'd never got the hair blower, you know, but he, I, could, I could feel his stress. And that's something you want to be there for your CEO in that moment. Sure. And you're like, oh, my God. I mean, there are so many other things that we need to be doing right now. But OK, let's go and build a pipeline that manually calculates retention, even though we have a tool uh, called Mixpanel. We were paying for both Mixpanel and Appleton at that time. Uh, we were bo- using both of them. And we were paying like tens of thousands of dollars or more. I don't, you know, or hundreds. And yeah, it's, it was crazy. It's a crazy bill. Um, and, but because we really needed to fix that retention thing, uh, we dropped everything as a data team, um, uh, including myself and Thora, who is on the Avo team as well. She was my yep. first hire at Quizip and she was also the first employee at, at Avo. And she's also on maternity leave right now. Shout out to you, Thora and Eric, your baby. Uh, so we dropped everything for a week or more to set up a raw event pipeline um, from Mixpanel through S3 through um, into Redshift to be able to calculate retention manually, yep. which requires a lot of effort. I'm yep. sure there are some people here that have done that and it's not an easy feat. It, it requires both a lot of architectural decisions um, that are sort of tough to revert. Uh, it requires a lot of computation. Um, and yeah, this was... And thinking. So it's not something that comes naturally. So Yeah, a lot of whiteboarding. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, so it took like 10 days to be able to, um, or more, 10, 14 days to be able to get the CEO these numbers because the data at the root was flawed but I didn't even know it properly until like three, four days later because it takes a while to collect enough data to understand day one retention, let alone if you're looking at a longer term metric than, than that. So there is just, there can be a lot of cost um, in time and and sort of decision-making if if you don't have the, the data correct um, at the source. We have a great comment here from, uh, I just want to jump into them um, uh, before we move on. Uh, Great highlight from from Benjamin Bach. Thank you. Yes, tracking is such a vague term. Can you mean anything from the raw event schema to having data flow into the destination to stakeholders talking about report and an, an analysis? I really agree with that. And the same thing applies to metrics. I think me- sometimes people use metrics to refer to events and sometimes they use metrics to refer. It's just, it's a really... Um, vague terms. Well, I agree with that. We should probably start like a centralized dictionary for this. Um, so another great comment also from Matt, um, anecdotal, anecdotally from friends who left Google to work on data science startup, then pivoting into data warehouse managing management because data was done incredibly poorly in near 99% of all non-Google companies. Exactly. Um, it is. Um, this is tough to get right. Timo, do you want to add anything to either of these? 
No, I would just say the, the last one is basically, I would say it's 95% of each initial story of each data startup. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, either on the one hand, like, like your stories, so we're still suffering a lot when you, when you build this stuff and really then take your experiences out of the company into, into others because you already solved a, a problem or um, living in this, this great world that you already described, like where a lot of stuff is already working and then switching companies and come into a state where you're like, it's not true where you are. And then realizing, okay, no, it's really hard to get there. So with most founders, I talk, when I talk about this, it's usually often like the, the same origin stories. Yeah. And in the meantime, we didn't just jump ahead and started solving this and building Avil. Um immediately when we found that phone yep. number bug. <laughs> um, so we were still building a, another product um, and it was actually quite an adventure. We applied to YC, um, Y Combinator, which we later um, went through with Avo. Mm. But at that time we had a company called Visca, which was a gamified microlearning um, for employees. Um, also actually based on something that we were working on internally at Quizup. Um, so... I guess this is an opportunity to shout out to everyone. If you want to build a startup, a great way to start is to work at another startup first, <laughs> which is, I guess, what you were also saying to me, like solve your own problem. But yeah, we um, YC actually offered us to join as long as we would do anything else than we were what we were doing at that point, which was nice. a pretty tough, tough decision to do. We ended up rejecting that offer. Um, but we couldn't tell anyone because and it was it was such a conflicting thing. Like they were basically saying, we really believe in the team, but we really don't believe in this idea that they're working on. So we couldn't share it with anyone. It was it was a tough one. But this thing that we just um, that I just shared with the phone number story, the uh, phone number story, uh, which happened just in the first few months of of Visca, uh, we didn't immediately jump ahead and started building Avo from there. You know, first we were just like. We, we accepted the fact that like, oh my God, it's just going to be awful. It's going to be awful. Um, and we're basically forced to choose between product delivery speed and reliable insights. And that was a huge bummer for me because obviously we could not as a startup, as an early stage startup, we could not just start building internal tools all, like and spend a lot of time on that. We just have to build our product and ship that, you know? So... Um, yeah, we we, cho we we chose the risk of unreliable data um, at that point, which was disappointing and tough to do. Uh, we we built some internal uh, documentation in like a some some tax file or YAML file at least to have a tracking plan or what we probably called it schema analytics event schema, um, and that was it. No code gen, no data validation or anything like that, but at least you know, a central repository for the definitions yeah. of the events. From there, we just, I just couldn't believe it was so bad. Like I couldn't, I, I felt like we must be doing something wrong. <laughs> That's how I felt. I was like, it can't be this bad. Like people, this must be a soft prop. Like what? <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. And that was the start of us starting to talk to like hundreds of people in the um, data space or you know not even in the data space like product managers and developers and i talked to uh, and data scientists and add like i talked to people at airbnb at spotify at twitch just all over and my finding was like i shared on linkedin this week i think uh you know about 99 percent of those people that i talked to were miserable about this and that remaining one percent was like um had built internally uh, not even necessarily. They had built some some sort of a schema management validation, yeah, blah, 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 sometimes code gen. Um, and it, it's typically something that someone is maintaining or someone built at some point and then, you know, someone else had to patch it with something because it yeah. didn't no longer work for like the identify method of the analytics SDK or someone else had to patch it for like, sorry, we now have React Native, so we need something for that as well. So, uh, and it, it was just... And, and I, I'll never forget a, a conversation that I had with a former colleague at Quizup also <clears throat> who's sharing the current situation at, a, at, at his current company uh, around Christmas 2017. And he was just, he was so, um, he was like so demoralized. And I, I felt that moment and I just like, 
this should not be like that. And after all of these conversations, I, 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 I literally felt like that was one of my, one of my biggest drives was, was just, yeah. I, I feel so sad that data people are so yeah. unhappy and miserable in their work. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, well, it's, it's, I think this is, this is something I think when, when you have this initial thing, so it, I think it goes on when you then start to build your product. And so it's because this is always where, where you come back to, to really make sense. So we, mm. we have another great question. So I think this is a great question for you um, from the chat. And so, um, so there's a question. We are an, an enterprise a SaaS company. I think our data maturity is very low, which I can say is usually like, um, oh, my camera is gone on. So it's a second. Internal temperature high. Yes. Wow, it's so cool. It's basically melting. Um, wow. So um, I, can, I can tell. So honestly, in most SaaS companies, data maturity is fairly low. So no problem here. Uh, this can easily be changed. And in this space, we are not looking at the standard SaaS uh, metrics. And the big challenge is really to know what are the right things to measure. And does Arvo help with that? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, we lost Timo's yeah, yeah, video. Yeah, Timo's video is coming back in a second. Okay, Timo's video is coming back in a second. Yeah, uh, it looks like his web, Timo's webcam <laughs> almost burned out. Hey, I have a second angle. One. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for reporting, Yuri. Um, yeah, Ole, Olaver, Jens, Olofsson, thank you for asking that question. Um, this is a really great question. So uh, I think ultimately when you're trying to measure the success of your product, you have to understand your, your business in general. Um, and it's, 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 it's in general about that. So maybe if, if you can leave a comment here about like, you know, how, how far you are, um, you mentioned that data maturity is fairly low, but you know, where are you as a company? Do you have customers? Do you have uh, revenue? Are you optimizing for, um, user acquisition or are you optimizing for early user experience or are you optimizing for, um, B2B expansion or, 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 or um, it sounds like enterprise SaaS. So that's probably going to be something around that. I'm also curious when you say that you're not looking at standard SaaS metrics, churn, sign up rate, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, is that intentional? Um, I would say, you know, you probably would want to start look at the, looking at those metrics. Um, uh, at least sort of understand what they look like. Uh, and, the the challenge with this always is like what's the definition of churn in my case um and what's the definition of sign up in my case and what's the definition of retention in my case so that's always like the um the sort of the tough part here so and for for b2b um what you are definitely interested in looking at and having as like a a, a thing that you uh, understand around your business is your logo churn. So account churn and sort of the really high performing companies, the top tier ones, they have 95% maybe there. That's the top tier ones. And then you want to, of course, look at net dollar retention, which is, uh, for each dollar that you get in your first year, um, or for each dollar that you get from a customer in their first year, how many dollars do you get in their second year, et cetera. Um, and, and, uh, but these are all sort of long-term metrics that you can't necessarily use to make instant decisions based on, or, or as input into product strategy or market strategy. And so, uh, one thing to really obsess over, I think, is what's your definition of a product qualified lead, um, uh, or something compatible for like, um, that's related to your onboarding process of your enterprise SaaS customers. Uh, and so product qualified leads are, are what's, you know, taking over the world right now in how you think about customer acquisition in the B2B space, uh, because the buying behaviors of people today, um, they really depend on the end user experience in most cases. So even if you're going through a sales cycle, um, you probably and typically have to think about like, what is the end user experience of the people that are going through the POC, uh, the proof of concept or the trial um, and things like that. Um, but 
even if you don't have, if you have like really long sales cycles and, and then just like the end users just have to use the product, um, you should still definitely be looking at like, what are the key, what's the key value that you get to your customers? And um, what is then maybe like the frequency of that value? What is the proportion of your users that are getting that value and things like that? So answering these questions and what to look at and what to measure, it's a really philosophical conversation, really. Um, and I do recommend Timo's um, recent webinar that we referred to in the beginning of this session where he accidentally did, did not record the webinar, but then he recorded a long video after the fact. Um, and it's there's a link to it in the Right Track community Slack, um, at least. And uh, we can probably share a link um, to this uh, as a follow-up to the attendees. Yeah, great. Um, so it will also but, become a YouTube video. Um, great. Yeah, exactly. So, but in general, like only all of it, this is the difficult question. Um, and it's the thing that uh, we highlighted a little bit earlier in the release analytics release process that we talked about. The first step is always understanding what your goal is with a specific release um, and how that's the first one. And then you have to sort of get that insight sometimes from other stakeholders. You can guess it a little bit. Um, typically, you can sort of assume like, okay, I assume we're, you know, the purpose of this is, you know, X. Um, and then the second step is basically aligning on how can you measure the success of that. And then the third step is designing event structures that you need to be able to measure the success of that. What literal event structures do you need to be able to look at that conversion funnel through the onboarding or the day one retention segmented by, um, you know, which platform they come from or which country they come from or uh, whether they had a losing first game experience or something like that. Um, so uh, in general, like... Um, this depends on whether you have any data today. Um, if you have no data today, you should identify some of those key key touch points in your product. Don't don't start by trying to track everything. Definitely don't start by trying to track everything. Uh, choose a few select key points in your product that you think um, represent some key values that your users get from your product. Start gathering that data and then start digging into that data. And then you'll get more questions and then you'll understand how to sort of measure, measure, measure your product. So it's basically a flywheel that you're building within your company, a data flywheel. Start by, start something small and build curiosity with, with, among yourselves, among your team members, um, which will get you more data, which will get you more curiosity, which will get you more data, which will get you more curiosity. And I think you already pointed out the essential part. So don't get lost in this metric question in the beginning. I mean, of course, if you have a lot of some, some experience, so it, it makes sense to derive stuff from, from metrics as well. But if you really struggle with that, as, as you said, so go back to the event level, go back to the usual journey, how, how your customers basically experience your product from the first touch point. So they hear about you from somewhere and then basically trying out and so on. And if this, for example, um, if, if you don't really have an idea what, what it could look like, um, then do something um, quite funny. And uh, let's say coming from people in the data world, um, interview people. So collect qualitative data. So ask people how they experienced uh, your product and so on. So you will find your events that you need to track um, yeah, so easily uh, because um, just just by listening to some people, uh, what they would tell, what what were their essential moments when trying out your product, and these essential moments that describe for you, these are the ones that you want to track because um, then you can collect and build really on top of these different kind of experiences. And this, at least, this is like my approach, and this really helps a lot. And this is also like a good example, which sometimes is missing, like qualitative and quantitative data really goes hand in hand and really is often like a circle between both. So you, you do qualitative to get new ideas, to find new points that could make sense to, to, to dive deeper and then you use quantitative data to really expand this insight on your whole, basically a customer base. And so your whole yeah. database. <clears throat> so exactly. Um, thank you for elaborating on this, Timo. Uh, so 
<laughs> great, Oli. Yeah, I just shared also a link in the sh- in the chat. Um, if you are watching and you can, and I don't know if recordings show links in chat, so we can add some show notes here. But um, the uh, there's a blog post I wrote uh, about this sort of process and this sit down meeting that we developed at at QuizUp, um, which we which we eventually called the purpose meeting. Um, which you know the first one that you host can take a little while because people are figuring out how it works and. Um, you're talking about, sometimes you're talking about big things because th- it's the first question, first time you're asking what's the purpose of something in, in the product. Um, but eventually what we ended up having is like just really quick 30 minute sit downs where, um, you know, a few people would get together and align on uh, what is the goal of this release? Um, how do we measure the success of it and how do we design the data? And these meetings, they just kept on getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and more of them would happen asynchronously. Um, and at Quizup, we had JSON schemas hosted on GitHub. And eventually, for example, the, the data design, the event design did not happen in these meetings. It just happened asynchronously by the developers um, and the data people would review. But I have in this blog post, which is called uh, Tracking the Right Product Metrics, um, and um, it covers this concept that we call the purpose meeting. So I think if you Google AVO purpose meeting, then you find it. Um, I talk a little bit also about what are good metrics and bad metrics um, and what is good data versus bad data. So it gives you a, a few goals on sort of um, what, what to look out for when you're, when you're looking into this process yourself. Very good. I have, um, so the good thing is everything worked out by itself. So I don't really have to look on kind of stuff I, w- I still want to cover because we covered so much things already. Um, I have one segment which I definitely want at least one part. So I, in, in another podcast, a conversation with Tyler, which I really like, and they have a segment which is called underrated, overrated. And so he, uh, he quickly asks a specific topic that are buzzing around in the industry. And um, I'm asking you if it's, uh, if it's underrated or overrated. And so, and I have a tough one, which I definitely want to place. So the modern data stack, underrated or overrated? Misunderstood. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, uh, or vague, I, I think. Or, you know, it's, um, I think... Well, I think like it's, I, I used to be so allergic to this, uh, all of these terms um, that people reinvent um, in every space. It just happens in every space. People reinvent terms for things that already exist. Yep. Um, and I think in most cases it happens because people are trying to distinguish themselves from the old way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and... <clears throat> Excuse my voice. I woke up with something in my throat, hence I'm entirely home. I don't have COVID though, so that's great. But um, so I think the this happens, this happened, for example, I think with an example of my experience with this is literally business intelligence. Mm -hmm. So for example, when I was recruiting for QuizUp, if I would open up a position around business intelligence, I would simply get a lot of people that thought about data in a more traditional sense. Yes. And couldn't get, I couldn't find anyone um, that knew anything about sort of product metrics or event-based analytics. And that was really difficult because I also did not know. I came from the genetics industry. And this was just really early. It was 2013 um, that I was recruiting for these roles. So... Every single person that we recruited into the data team in AVO, none of them had any experience with product analytics. Um, And I think this is the reason why we keep inventing new terms for existing things. Uh, It's just because we're trying to distinguish them from something that we relate to older ways of doing things. Uh, And I think sometimes it can be helpful but sometimes it's just really vague and doesn't mean anything. I definitely think that the modern modern data stack, like there is a concept there, um, but it also has a lot of things in common with how we have done things in the past. Yep. Um, so I think, um, you know, maybe slightly overrated, I would say, 
um, but also really important though. Um, but sort of yeah. as a concept, maybe overrated. But of course, as a marketing person, uh, you know, and the founder of Avo, we have to jump on the wagon and talk about it. So, yeah, Avo is a part of the modern data stack. But interestingly, the modern data stack always f forgets about data collection. This is something which I don't really understand. So when you look at schemas or models from the modern data stack, so data is already magically there. So it's like like it appeared at some point in a data warehouse. And uh, this is interesting that it's uh, it's a little bit forgotten. And so I hope it's really extends in this kind of area because like, I mean, but I think it will happen. But it, it's quite funny with this reusing term. So for example, I can remember a phase where we didn't mention data warehouses and project. We called them data hub because we knew when, when we come into these, uh, these projects and uh, like the IT team uh, or development team is sitting there. But in that case, it was always like IT. Um, they have burned so many money with data warehouse projects already. If you, if you come with this term, you cannot really have a conversation because it already creates the mindset uh, in a specific way. And so we call yeah. it data hub, which was ridiculous because in the end, of course, like it was a data warehouse. Data warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, yeah, I love that. Um, we are almost at time. Um, yes. uh, we have about three minutes left. So if you have any questions that you would like to fire in right now, um, please fire away and we will try to answer them um, asynchronously. If we can answer any quickly right now, we'll try to do that. Yes. Um, if you have any follow-up questions after this, uh, after this webinar, um, I will quickly share with you where you can reach us so you can ask those questions. Um, and, but before we end, Timo, do you want to dive into another overrated, underrated, or, or another question that we want to cover before we end the conversation today? No, I would say uh, let's let's keep the last minutes. So I would have another underrated, overrated, but we can do this at another time. Um, you know, like that keeps us open. So like uh, also like if so, we have the uh, right track uh, community uh, where you can find us both. So if you have some kind of questions, um, I guess this might be the easiest way. Uh, yeah, I think that could be the case. Uh, so we have it here. Um, if you have any follow-up questions, uh, would love to see, we'd love to see you in the right track community. Um, you can always, always reach out, um, to Avo and you can always reach out to Timo yes. directly. You can also find us on LinkedIn, um, and yes. Twitter. Talking trash with hot takes, but also boring takes around all sorts of various things. I have a fun poll running from today on about struggles in tech management systems. So. Anyone who likes to uh, vote on their major missing missing feature in tech management systems. So ah, love welcome. it. Okay, uh, and that's that's a poll that's running on your LinkedIn. Yes. Ah, exciting. Just. Cool. Um, yeah. So uh, there is one question here from Frederick uh, Victor. Please give us tips and tricks if we don't have a data engineer on our team, but we need product analytics report. Yeah, uh, it's a collaboration. My tip and trick is, uh, you know, build partnerships um, and sort of champions and partners, build partner relationships with the people in your current organization that can help you get this done. You can be a passionate product engineer, a product manager, the CEO, like just build al allies um, and alliances internally among the people that also are excited about this. And then get the first report done and then, you know, build that flywheel of, of people getting more data internally. That's my recommendation. To extend that hundred percent. So I think this is the major thing that most people don't think that it's possible. There are so many other people in your company out there who love to work with data and they, they have the same problem that you are. No one is asking publicly or no one is really sharing it because sometimes you're afraid that you shouldn't ask uh, because everyone is assuming that you have to do this magically by your own. So I always so like talk to developers. So there are so many developers out there who would love to understand more how features are working, how people are using stuff. And so on. I think then make it a, a team effort or like um, even can it be a project team effort? To really figure out and so sit together and so this usually resolves 80 percent of the problems don't try to do everything on your own so i think exactly 
Awesome. Um, that's maybe great final words. We're at time. Um, I just want to say thank you all so much for joining us today. Um, we will uh, follow up via email, share the link so you can um, share this recording with with um, your coworkers or your friends if you if if you think we have tips there, our conversations that's valuable for them. And then join us in the follow-up conversation in our community. Yeah, and th thanks so much for sharing so many stories. So I think like this sharing stories is something that we have to do so much more in the data community to really like to see. I mean, like 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 your 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 story about what went wrong when you analyze the fund. I mean, every one of us has these, and we're always like, no, I'm not sure if I should. Of course, like I mean, we, we all messed up things with data and so i think this is it's part of the journey so thanks exactly. for that thank you timo uh what a dream team company i really appreciate this conversation today yeah me too we'll all right soon thank you everyone thank you for listening to this episode I hope you found some stuff that was interesting, maybe even you, maybe trigger some further thoughts um, in your head so that maybe gives you a new perspective on a specific topic. At least this is what I'm always loving about podcasts. So it triggers my brain to do crazy new things and I am um, hope you found something interesting um, in this episode as well. So. One important thing, if you have any kind of questions about the tools we are discussing in this podcast, any kind of questions about tracking setups in general, how you should approach a specific kind of problems, or even if you say, I don't have really an idea what kind of tracking setups make sense for my business for the current situation that it's in, um, just reach out to me. So this is pretty easy. So on the one hand, you can all go over to LinkedIn and you can type in my name, you can find me and you can just write me a message. That's one way. And the other way is like, you can also go on our website, deepskydata.com and there is um, a, a button um, that you can set up a call. So you can click it, you can schedule 30 minutes with me and these 30 minutes are always free. So um, no obligations, it's just like, it's, it's, it's not a sales call. So it's really like, you can put in your question, you can put in your problems where you're basically stuck so I can pr present you maybe one or two ideas how I would approach these kind of topics. And that's it. So I'm, I mostly want, really want to help here uh, to, to basically unblock you and give you some new ideas. So uh, if that's something for you, don't hesitate, just reach out. Um, this will be super fun to do. Um, and I see you in the next episode. <laughs>